those that are <clears throat> interested, the um, the video and the, the old hymn that was played there during the offertory is uh, an artist by the name of Audrey Assad, and she has very quickly become probably my favorite. So We have been looking these last three weeks at the Gospel of John, chapter 15, these first eight verses, abiding and bearing, abiding, living, dwelling, staying with, being pressed into Jesus. Abiding means lots of things. And, and we were talking uh, either last night or the night before, actually around the dinner table, that abiding has this notion of time. That this process that we're talking about of abiding and bearing in Jesus, of learning what it means to be in the vine, takes time. It's not quick. It's slow. It's long. But it's also good. The first week as we looked at John 15, 1 through 8, kind of the point of emphasis was this idea that there is a vine dresser, that there is an owner of the vine, that there, that there is this vine and that there are branches. And part of, part of my problem and part of my situation when things go awry is I forget what I am. And I arguably start taking on ownership that isn't mine to take. I'm a branch. Jesus is the vine. And God the Father is the vine dresser, the owner of the vineyard. Last week, we looked at this, and I, and I said, full disclosure, this is going to be a hard teaching. It's a hard Sunday, but it's good news because last week we talked about discipline and pruning. Discipline and pruning. Not to be confused with punishment. You see, our punishment was bore on the cross. Jesus paid our punishment. He took the hit. And so the discipline and pruning that we now go through as believers who are maturing and make no bones about it, the only way to mature is to have been pruned. A Christmas tree grows to maturity because of pruning. Year after year after year. Right? And the proof text that we are in fact loved by a holy God is the fact that we are disciplined. And the fact that there is pruning. You see, a father disciplines his children. And so if we want to know, if we need, if we need any more reason of knowing a proof text of being in the family, of being in the kingdom of God, and if we are being disciplined and pruned, praise God. Because that's love. A father that loves us. Today we want to look one more time at these eight verses. And sort of wrap up, so to speak, or sort of summarize some of these things that we've been talking about before we move on. Let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. 
Jesus says that he is the vine, we are the branches. Then he says he will prune the branches that are not fruitful, and they will wither away and and be thrown into the fire. Now that sounds scary. And I I think it begs a, a fair question. Does it mean that we have to be fruitful or else? But there's so much about this gospel reading in in John that's hopeful and and I dare say fruitful for us believers, for us Christians. You see, Jesus tells us, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. And then he goes on to talk about about pruning and and bearing fruit, these good things. And and if you're you're like me, I I think we can hang all hang along just fine with Jesus' vine metaphor we, we can get it. We like it. It, it. it feels right. It feels good. We can hang with the metaphor until we get to this line. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers, and such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. <laughs> What's Jesus talking about? I mean, there, that doesn't seem comforting at all, hearing about being gathered and thrown into a fire and burned. I was talking with um, Levi, the barber, this week about uh, he had, had a friend who had suffered some major burns and talking about that process. I myself have a, a very small third-degree burn that I sustained when I was in college age on my arm, and it's, and it's in my knee, but I remember the pain, and I remember the weeks and weeks and weeks of treating it and, and to heal it. So when we talk about being thrown in the fire and burned, what? Well, the truth is, throughout Christian history, this verse in particular has been used to, to actually justify great violence and mayhem in the name of Christ. In the 13th century, for example, Pope Gregory the Ninth had a dream of reuniting Eastern and Western Christianity. Of course, a very noble and wonderful goal. There's only one body of Christ. We should be unified. The problem was with the method that Pope Gregory chose to bring about this reunion. He, he proclaimed that it was necessary to stamp out heresy in the West, the part that was under his control, And he enacted a law based on this gospel teaching and this reading that that heretics condemned by the church court would be burned at the stake. Death by fire, he claimed. Was this what Jesus wanted for them? It's in the Bible. It's in the scriptures. His method was gathering those heretical branches and throwing them into the fire. In the end, Pope Gregory's efforts did not, in fact reunite the east and west but it did start the inquisition which would last for the next 500 years but we don't have to go to the 13th century to find violent and disturbing interpretation of these verses casual searches of of online bible commentaries will agree that 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 this verse means that if you backslide from what jesus intends for you to do in this life, if, if we become apostates in this case, that we'll be, to quote 
one of the more popular sites, cast into the everlasting burnings of hellfire by angels at the last day. Sounds comforting. Sounds reassuring. So, but, but how does it fit with our understanding of God? It is God's word. It can't simply be, we can't simply take the parts of God's word we don't like and throw them out. Because he is a holy God and we are not. So how does it fit? We've heard and we've discussed over and over and over throughout the years here, the primary characteristics of God are, of course, God's love and God's mercy. God says, I forgive you. At the, at the lens through which God's love is channeled through Jesus, we know this. We know that to be true. So how does killing heretics have any connection to the good news of Jesus Christ? How does this burning in hell cast into the fire make sense in the light of, of the gospel? I think we have to look more closely at, at what Jesus is teaching us. You know, Jesus make the, makes these comments to his disciples just before he begins his final hours toward the cross. That's important to know. He, he tells his disciples that he is the true vine, that the vine grower is his father. So what is our relationship? We, along with the disciples, are branches. And Jesus says that the Father will prune the branches that don't bear fruit. Now, that could be taken as a threat. We could see that as threatening language. We could hear it, and I am suggesting we could hear it incorrectly, as if you don't produce the outcome I'm looking for, you've had it. We could, we could see how people could get there. But this is the problem with, with metaphorical language. And in, in a culture like the, the one in which Jesus lived, you see, they would have understood vineyards and pruning much more than we naturally understand now. But here's the thing. That metaphor can just as well be understood to mean removing parts of the branch. The parts of us that keep us from bearing fruit. A clue to this understanding is this word prune. It's actually the exact same Greek word for cleansed that's used in the next verse when Jesus says, you have already been, or you have been cleansed by the word I have spoken to you. Cleansed, pruned, the same word. This does not mean thrown away or discarded. We, we, we've not been removed by the word of God. In fact, the opposite is true. In fact, what the word of the Lord does for us is it brings us healing. It brings us reconciliation, which we have been talking about today. It brings us together as the body of Christ. But what about that burning stuff? Just before that part, Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in you. It's, it's through this abiding in Christ that we, in fact, bear fruit. And the branches that do not abide in Christ do, do not bear fruit and are, and are gathered and are burned. But, but, but what needs to be pruned or to be cleansed and burned away are practices that take away from this fruit-bearing life. And, and obviously, I have them. You have them. We all have them. We all have branches. We all have parts of our life that need to be cut away, that need to be pruned. 
that need to be cleansed. And so we, we look back again one more time at God's discipline. God's discipline is not punishment as Jesus already bore our punishment. I can't overstate that enough. Nor is his discipline ever motivated by a desire to inflict pain. Nor is God's discipline from a place of anger. He doesn't discipline in anger. He does not lose his temper, treat us unfairly, or allow us to suffer anything that is not for our ultimate good. That's not my idea. That's Romans 8.28. Rather, God's discipline comes from his great love for us. It's, it's a, it is a token, it is a part of his adoption of us as children into the family. Discipline. He loves us too much to allow us to remain in our sin. He loves us so much that he will do whatever is necessary to make us holy. Sometimes the medicine doesn't taste very good. But that doesn't change the fact that the physician's motive is mercy and health and restoration. They're not just sitting there laughing, ha, 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 we'll make you take this stuff which tastes bad. While discipline is sometimes painful, God's purpose in discipline for us is always our own good. And it is always holiness and it is always ultimately for his glory. The ultimate good for a Christian is to be sanctified, which is to be conformed to the likeness, to the image of Jesus Christ. So discipline is not merely corrective, but discipline also and sort of alludes to, and we've talked about, and, and you athletes in the room understand that it involves training. 1 Timothy 4, 8, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, just as an athlete disciplines his or her body through physical training in order to prepare for competition. God disciplines us by training our souls to make us holy and prepare us to be in his presence. That's Hebrews chapter 12. That's Titus chapter 2. You see, discipline is, is not just sort of this, this corrective thing, but it's a training. It's a practice. It's a discipline. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, disciplining us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Training. Discipline. Lastly, the end of, of God's discipline is, is not only for our good, but it's for his glory. The two are, are not mutually exclusive, but they work hand in hand. They work together. As God causes us to grow in, in holiness through this discipline, through this pruning by our abiding and his abiding, God's grace is revealed in us and he is glorified. God, by the gracious operation and movement of his spirit, not only washes away our sins, but empowers us to grow in holiness. 
1 Corinthians 15, 10. Our loving, our, our, our loving Heavenly Father, our, our loving God is, is deserving of eternal praise and, and forever gratitude for the grace of, of, of His discipline. Which both confirms our adoption. We've talked about this. It confirms the fact that we're in the family. That we're part of it. And it works towards our sanctification. That lifelong process. Of becoming more like him. You see God disciplines every one of his children. His motive is only love. His practice is perfect. And his purpose is our sanctification. His end is glory. So may I learn not to despise discipline, but actually be encouraged by it. The more I am part of his body, more, the more I am part of the body of Christ, the more I am cleansed of, of, of pride, of, of jealousy. I, I am cleansed of hopelessness. And despair, I'm cleansed of arrogance and hatred. How can I hold on to anger when I'm regularly hearing about forgiveness among fellow branches? How can I remain self-centered and, and focus solely on my own problems as, as part of my regular practice? I'm supposed to love other people. You see, these things get pruned away as I continue to abide as I continue to live, as I continue to dwell, as I continue to spend time in God's love, in the community, in the vineyard. So what does abiding look like? You know, we speak so much in metaphor, and, and, but, but, but what does abiding look like? What does bearing fruit look like when it gets down to the nitty-gritty? Part of the answer is we find in, in the reading from, from 1 John, we, we bear fruit when we love one another. Why? Because love is from God. And John tells us that everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. That's a proof of bearing fruit. So living together in a community of believers is how we abide in Christ. It's certainly one part of it, right? If not a major part of it. The fruit of that abide, abiding then ripens and becomes sweet. That fruit is love. At Benarout Christian Fellowship, we, we are continually working to abide in the vine, producing fruit. Every time we do what we've done today, every time we gather together for worship, we're abiding in the vine. Every time. When, when breakfast teams rise early, thank you women's Sunday school class this morning. Forgot to give you a shout out early. When our breakfast teams rise early and prepare biscuits and gravy that we all enjoy and share with whomever walks through those doors, that's abiding in the vine. When the worship team faithfully comes here on Wednesday night and practices and practices and, and then take us to this place of worship where we just feel like we can, we can almost just bust because of the gift of music and the gift of sound and the gift of time. We are abiding. We're abiding in the vine. When, when greeters show up faithfully for 35 plus years through health and sickness, through cancer and broken legs, 
and greets you with a holy hug and a holy kiss in the name of Jesus Christ. When we do that, we are, they are demonstrating hospitality and being hospitable and welcoming us. And that is abiding in the vine. When someone is called on, like Amanda, as she walks in the door and I say, Hey, can I talk to you for a second? I'd love for you to come up here and stand and read God's holy word to God's people this morning. What do you say? Okay, great. That is standing and worshiping in community, and that is abiding in the vine. It's all huge, and yet it's so simple and small. When Sunday school teachers show up week after week sharing their time and talents with the love of God from two-year-olds to 90-year-olds and above, that is abiding in the vine. When we gather together and make lunches, when we gather together in outreach, when we decorate trees and hang greenery, when we get together and, and, and engage in laughter and conversation. That's abiding in the vine. I could keep going. I could go on and on. It's through our practices of being in community and being centered on God's word and constantly looking at God's word as a body of Christ. That's how we bear fruit. That's in the weeks to come, in the weeks to come, in the months to come, in the years to come, in the decades to come until Christ comes back, we are continuing to offer opportunities for us to come together as a community. To do some sharing, to do some listening, to do some fellowship. And that's how we bear fruit. We're going to keep having times on Sundays and on Wednesdays where we, the people of this church, where we can show up and we can be a part of the conversation about what God is already doing in your life and what he's doing in my life and how that's encouraging to both. We get to sit and drink cups of coffee and hear about passion. We get to hear about what we're doing well and what's bearing fruit in our congregation and in, the, and in our community, in our town and in our county. We get to encourage each other about proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We get to abide and we get to bear. And if we continue to bear this fruit, and if we continue to abide and, and we're continued to go and we're continued to call to, to go into the world to share the good news of God and Jesus Christ, to go into the world to, to, to be agents and instruments of God's reconciliation, which Carl spoke about earlier. To go to where to the world and, and let, know, let them know that there is a God who loves us. A God who's not going to let us go. And in a love that only he can provide to set us free. Abiding. And bearing. Amen.